The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Welcome to The Views Room. I'm Rob Cox, the editor of Breaking Views, coming to you from Zurich, Switzerland. This week's episode is dedicated to the SPAC craze, which has kept Wall Street busy over the past couple of years. Some 400 so-called special purpose acquisition vehicles have raised hundreds of billions of dollars from investors on the promise that they will find and buy promising companies around the world. We at Breaking Views have been writing about SPACs for some time and decided to pull together some of our coverage into a new book that Laura Laughlin, our M&A editor in New York, compiled called The Art of the SPAC. The book makes for a fun and informative read on this bonanza, which up to now has made quite a few bold-faced names on Wall Street even richer, brought some fascinating if early-stage companies into the public markets, and generally not created too many disasters in its wake. But as Lauren and Richard discuss, it's still early earnings for this speculative fervor in the market, and regulators are keenly examining whether it poses a risk to investors and whether to shut it down. Herewith, we discuss the art of the SPAC. Lauren, it is great to have you here to talk to us about the art of the SPAC. You've put together a special Breaking Views book that goes through sort of the 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 history of SPACs as far as we've covered them over the past 20 years. Uh, They've now become a huge, huge phenomenon. Uh, But as the cover of the book suggests, it's a bit of a soupy mess. You've got a sort of Warhol-esque picture of Campbell soup cans labeled SPAC soup. Big soupy mess, (laughs) bit lukewarm. Talk us through what's going on with uh, SPACs today. Yeah, stone soup, I guess, at this point. Um, No, we put the book together because we have been collectively writing about SPACs for uh, more than a decade, I guess, before everybody else decided to to queue into SPACs, including, you know, over 400 now that are floating around out there. Um, And it's a really interesting corner of the market because it's providing uh, companies an opportunity to go public in a way that they haven't before. But it's, you know, creating all sorts of arbitrage for investors, for sponsors. There's conflicts. The SEC is involved now. And, you know, it's all that sort of juicy stuff that we love to look at. And the book, you know, aggregates sort of some highlights over the last number of years that we've written about these things um, from the, the good, the bad, and the ugly, really. Um, and I think it's kind of painted a, a picture, um, excuse the pun, of, of where we are today. Well, that's why you are of the specs. It's a nice, it's a, it's a good way to put it. You've got uh, chapter headings, including old masters, which I guess refers to some of those pieces that we were writing about a decade or so ago. I mean, as you say, SPACs are, are not a new phenomenon, just that they've become this giant uh, phenomenon on Wall Street over the past two years. And and the reason is because they're paying out a lot of money to a lot of people, and there really hasn't been anybody who's lost out quite yet. So, you know, uh, underwriters are making money, the sponsors are making tons of money, the companies who are selling into the SPACs are making money, and the investors actually, you know, up until recently um, haven't done horrible either. Um, more or less. So some of them anyway. So, you know, the the recipe is there for them to continue. That is until, you know, just a month or so ago when the SEC decided to step up. And well, we'll things have halted very quickly. You mentioned, I mean, one of the other chapter headings is the curators. Richard, 
uh, Beals, you've written uh, along with Lauren. You, you've been our sort of SPAC co-chairman uh, <laughs> over the past few months. I mean, the curators are basically uh, the guys who've been, these are the sponsors, these are the underwriters. As, as Lauren says, so far, nobody's gotten hurt, but that's not good. Right. I mean, I think, I think the only thing you might argue, depending how you cut the cake and what time periods you choose. And, and of course, there's a huge problem because so many of these were in the past very short, small number of months. So long-term performance is just an unknown at this point. But I think you can show that at least in some cases, you know, anyone who bought in just as a regular investor, so not as an initial investor in, in a SPAC, and we have to remember SPACs raise money and then they go and find a target to buy and then it all changes and the SPAC kind of becomes a listed version of that target. If that's the moment you buy in, there's some some evidence that those don't perform especially well, especially compared, say, to a regular initial public offering. But yeah, I mean, most people probably, if, if, if they're even monitoring that, haven't noticed a drop off in performance much yet. And the other guys involved, the SPACs, the underwriters, the auditors, who is a whole another story, the uh, initial investors who get warrants as well, which is a little icing on the cake for them, um, all of them do just fine. Right. And then, and then, and then there's the deal. I mean, well, then there's the people like Steve Schwartzman that we write it. We have another uh, chapter called painting by numbers, obviously keeping within the art of the SPAC uh, theme, Bill Ackman, uh, Joe Perella, uh, Lauren, I mean, who hasn't gotten a SPAC? I mean, even Dan Loeb, I think even we wrote a piece a long, almost like a year and a half ago, saying, "Here's what our SPAC will look like." I mean, <laughs> is, is only is only are only idiots the ones sitting out the SPAC craze? I, I saw honestly, I did feel like that for a little while myself. Um, when I think when we wrote that piece last summer about the breaking due SPAC, I was I was half serious about going out and starting my own because I saw how much money these guys were making, and you know what, they're getting validation by having these huge names on all sides of the transaction. Transactions so you used to talk about. You know, Bill Ackman started a SPAC. He he issued, you know, shares in an IPO in a SPAC. Blackstone is selling companies to a SPAC. Perella Weinberg is going public via a SPAC. Um, and then you, you have like WeWork, which was a company who couldn't list in a traditional IPO, come out, have a more reasonable valuation, actually go public via a SPAC. Um, and part of that is just this crazy equity market that we're in right now anyway. But yeah, it's kind of, like, like who isn't involved in SPACs? Um, and so the painting by numbers kind of goes through, I think, some of these bigger names that are involved and digs into some of what might be like looked at as more legitimate deals. Um, and then, of course, we have this section called graffiti um, and surrealism, which outline some of the crazier um, deals and co conflicted deals that we've seen over the last, you know, 12, six to 12 months. Yeah, I mean, well, just going, we'll go to those. Let's let's talk about some of the crazier deals in a sec. But I mean, the big picture, the contemporary works, which is another chapter. Again, hats off to you guys for coming up with these these fun these fun themes. Um, but the first story is one is written by one Richard Beals. It says finance is like poker. If you don't know who the sucker is, it's you. That's especially true of SPACs, the Wall Street craze that only seems to gather pace. So. Richard, I mean, if I follow that, um, it's all been good up to now, or you know, certain people have made off like bandits, but it sounds like there's a sucker out there. What, what, how do you diagnose like where we're going with this and who gets hurt? Well, so uh, it, one thing it depends on critically is whether specs are paying over the odds for the businesses they're buying. And let me just explain that because, you know, 
so a SPAC raises money and when a SPAC finds a business to buy, which is its sole purpose, then the sponsor behind that SPAC, which might be a Gary Cohn who used to be at Goldman and then worked for Donald Trump, for example, might be in a, I think in a less central role, Serena Williams, whose name has been associated, the tennis player, whose name has been associated with the SPAC, could be any of those people. Those people get a bunch of free shares when, when they find a deal. Now, free shares for them are great. Free shares for every other shareholder are what in the trade you call dilution, meaning the value has been spread out over more shares. So yours are in theory um, worth a bit less. Um, so there's so much to, dilution at these different stages of a SPAC. So first it goes public and the initial investors who are often specialist hedge funds, they get warrants. Now warrants are like options. If the SPAC eventually does well, if the shares do well, they can convert those into shares at a cheap price, that's dilution. Then when it finds a deal, the SPAC sponsors get shares, that's dilution. So all of those people are doing fine. But if you also overpay for the business, then long-term it's not gonna perform and the shares aren't gonna perform. So on top of the dilution, which the sort of ordinary investor who just buys a share at some point in the future, it is really covering that dilution and will also suffer if the business was, if too much was paid for the business because it won't, it won't uh, meet expectations and the stock won't do well. So that is in theory, the most likely place to find a sucker. Right. And then that, that's what gets down to these deals. And, and I think uh, the surrealism chapter is the one that, that's, that captures some of the, some of the areas where I think there, you'll, someone's going to get hurt. I just have to think. I mean, you've got in there outer space vehicles, electric cars. Okay, electric cars may be a real space, but air taxis. Um, Lauren, is, I mean, you mentioned that there are some 400 of these special purpose acquisition vehicles out there, they all have a sort of limited time horizon, right? They have to they have to use the money within whatever it is, two years. So they're all scouring, yeah, they're scouring the planet looking for deals. I have to believe that as they get closer and closer to the expiration date, they are going to lower their return expectations. No? <laughs> yeah, the quality control, I have heard that in several places, right? The quality control, which it, there are limited amounts of it anyway, it starts to fall as they get closer to this two-year expiration because they just want to do a deal. They're going to pay a bunch of money, as Richard said, to do any deal. And so they're going to, you know, overlook some things. So we've seen companies going public that have no revenue, no actual revenue. All they have is a business plan. You know, what a VC might call an early stage company, an idea, really. And this is going out into the public market via SPAC. Um, and, and there are loopholes that were really, which we wrote about as well with the SEC that enabled companies to do this, which the SEC only recently has started to crack down on. But, you know, you look at, you know, air taxi company or uh, some electric vehicle firms, you know, Playboy for, was another company that went public via SPAC. I mean, they don't really at this point have proven business models and public investors or these SPAC investors, you know, who trade hands between, you know, hedge funds and speculative investors, and they end up ultimately in, in retail investors' hands, are taking on this huge amount of risk. And, you know, the SEC and public markets aren't really typically set up to, um, to really absorb the, these types of companies on the public market. So the SEC is, is, is looking into this. 
uh, our colleague, uh, our col columnist, Eddie Chancellor, wrote a piece saying, basically, if you go back to the old, the, the OG SPACs of 1720 uh, in, in London, you know, companies that were floating, the bubble companies, then it was essentially regulation that ended it. Do you, do you guys, let's start with you, Lauren, do you think that that's, that the, 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 at least the froth in the market in some way will be diminished as a result of the SEC or other regulators taking a look at this? I do. I think really they've come out with some very pointed statements. There has to be some action, which um, our columnist Gina Chon wrote about, you know, some real action in terms of fines and things to put a full stop on the market. But just the words that they've said about these projections, about accounting for warrants and a couple of other things over the past couple of weeks, there has been this huge slow in SPAC issuance. There's been a drop in SPAC valuations. And so I think they're being really effective. At the end of the day, then that's going to make it hard for all SPACs out there, including the likes of Bill, from you know, from Bill Ackman all the way down to the no-namers, to find a company because they no longer are going to think that they're protected by buying, you know, speculative companies and and shoving them into public market, into the public investors' hands. Richard, what do you? How do you think this whole plays out? I think that's right. I'm, I mean, I'm slightly in two minds. While I'm not a huge fan of the SPAC structure and the sort of all the dilution type issues and and disclosure issues that that they have it is another way to go public there is something to be said for companies that are public not necessarily the spec process but if you think of specs as another way to bring more companies to public markets where the number of companies has been declining over decades it might be something that actually as an end result the sec included is quite happy to have the question is how do you get there so I'm not I'm not necessarily in favor of all the ideas of SPACs and the, the, that whole concept being sort of outlawed because it is another way to that certain other types of companies can perhaps more easily go public and that's not necessarily a bad thing. What we have here though is froth, which and and excesses, which which is going to end in tears for for somebody at some point. I did I did want to touch on how it's not just the sort of SPACs who race to race each other and flooding the market. You know, every other regime sees a phenomenon like this in the U.S. and thinks, oh, we, you know, wouldn't it be great? I'm talking about for-profit stock exchanges and similar around the world. And they all think, well, you know, it's a bit like the dual, dual class shares. You know, when you, they see giant tech companies going public in the U.S. where they're allowed to have super voting shares for the founders, all the exchanges that didn't have that suddenly start looking at it as an option. And it's a little bit like that with SPACs. Lots of uh, other regimes have started looking at whether you know in, in in some form of coded language at least if not completely openly say to look at the possibility of allowing more leeway which would allow things like SPACs to happen take for example Hong Kong where you know the regulator the stock exchange said um, which is, is a, there is overlap between the regulation and the stock exchange um, said oh let's consider whether we could do this and in Hong Kong they've been fighting for years against to, to basically outlaw what they call shell companies, which is all that SPACs are. Um, tycoons and other people were backing random assets into these companies that had, had been sitting sort of dormant on the stock exchange. And really, that's what a SPAC is. You don't know what it's going to buy. It's, it's random assets are backed into it. It's a, it's a reverse listing. It's the same thing that they've spent years trying to outlaw. So it would be kind of amusing if the result of this craze for SPACs in the US wound up sort of triggering SPACs being allowed in, in Hong Kong, for just, just as one example. 
Well, it's as you say, there is a sort of benefit to the formation of risk capital that, you know, had been, you know, IPOs had been diminishing public companies in general. Um, you know, we saw a decline in their numbers, partly because private equity took so many of them uh, private. But it is fascinating. All right. Well, look, thank you guys for uh, your time and good luck with the book launch, Lauren. Thank you. Thanks, Rob. That's our show for this week. Thanks to our producer, Freddie Joyner in New York. Our final thanks go to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Subscribe to The Views Room and our sister podcast, The Exchange, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you go to get your podcast fixes. And check us out every day at breakingviews.com. Auf Wiedersehen.